seat, turn to three people, tell them they look good, give them a high five, give them a hug, give them a, I don't know, give them a massage, give them a whatever. <laughs> we doing good tonight, church? Wow, apparently not. Let's try that again. We doing good tonight, church? Come on, praise God. Hey, I can't wait to see all that God is going to continue to do in this service. I'm really believing that God's going to move. I'm really believing that God's going to speak in a powerful way right to your life, right to your situation, exactly where you're at right now. So let's lean into all that God has for us tonight. Uh, we're, we're really in for a treat. we got to know that God's presence is here with us right now in this place. Amen. And what an incredible thing that is. Let's never take for granted the fact that we get to come here into church like this week in and week out, gather amongst believers and, and just get encouraged around God's word and lift up his name and remind ourselves that he is bigger and he is greater than whatever situation we might be facing in our lives. And I think it's an incredible thing that we get to do this week in and week out. And again, let's not take that for granted ever that we get to do this. It's pretty great that we get to do this. We get to come, we get to worship this God who is all-powerful, who is uh, omniscient, who is omnipresent, who is greater than our situations, whatever it is we may be facing, he is all-knowing. You know, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Isn't that interesting? Have you ever wondered that God has never wondered about anything before? I think it's pretty incredible that we serve a God who knows every single detail of who we are and loves us so much and has created us in his image. It's an amazing thing. And uh, uh, listen, don't, no matter what your worry might be right now, no matter what your doubts might be in your life, God's got a plan for you and he's got a purpose for your life. And I believe that he wants to reveal to you what that is in this place this evening. Uh, that you're here not on accident, but you're here for a purpose. And that God wants to reveal himself to you. So come on, let's lean in. Let's stir up our faith and, and lift our level of expectation for what God can do in this place tonight, all right? Let's lean in. I know that we've showed up physically, but have we shown up spiritually tonight? So let's actually listen, not just with our physical ears, but let's listen with our spirits to what God wants to say to us, and I believe that he is going to speak to us tonight. Is that okay? Are we on the same page? Awesome. All right. Hey, we're going to start by turning in our Bibles to the book of Acts, and we're going to read Acts 9, verse 1 to 9, and if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can follow along on the screen behind me, but I'm going to go ahead and read that, and uh, if you're there, say, I'm there. All right, let's read. Acts 9, verse 1 to 9. It says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? I love he says, who are you? Lord, and then he like states who it is. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Come on, why don't we pray, and then we're going to get into this message this afternoon. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are. 
We thank you for what you're doing here. We thank you that you are here with us, and we just pray, God, that your name would be glorified tonight. We pray that you would be lifted up. We pray, Jesus, that uh, above all else, that it wouldn't be my words that speak, but it would be your words that communicate in this place. Because although my words might be able to encourage people for a moment, we know that your word can bring life change for an eternity, Jesus. And we thank you for that. In your mighty name we pray, and everybody said... Amen, amen. Well, hey, I love going to the movies. Any movie lovers? I always talk about the movies. I think it's a great thing. It's uh, always fun to go and see a movie or watch a movie at home, and it's kind of just this great form of entertainment for me. It, it sort of is this great escape, this great recharge time in my life when I just kind of get sucked into the world of a movie. I think it's awesome. But one, one kind of thing that I love in movies is when a movie has a plot twist. You know what I'm talking about? I love a good plot twist in a movie where something totally unexpected happens, something that you weren't ready for, something that, that, that you, you, you weren't uh, guessing would possibly happen. And I think that one of the all-time best plot twists in any movie ever comes from this movie series. It's a little-known series. It's kind of niche, kind of indie movie series, sort of art house films. They're called Star Wars, okay? I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. Uh, specifically, a movie called, uh, in the series called The Empire Strikes Back, all right? And it has this absolutely, come on, some Star Wars fans in the place today. Come on, live long and prosper. Let's go. Praise God. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Hey, my name is Luke, okay? I have to be a Star Wars fan. I was born a Star Wars fan, okay? There's this incredible moment in The Empire Strikes Back where, of course, Luke Skywalker is angry at Darth Vader, and he's saying, you killed my father. And Darth Vader utters that absolutely famous, incredible line, no, Luke, I am your father. And everybody loses their minds when they hear this. Nobody could possibly believe it. I mean, could you imagine being in like the cinema, in the theater, when that came out, perhaps some of you were, and you had no idea that that was coming. I mean, talk about a plot twist, okay? It's one of the best plot twists in movie history. I love it when there's a good plot twist, when there's something unexpected that happens in a movie, right? You know those movies where like things jump out? You know those kind of movies? Well, I, I like those movies, and I, I like watching them, not to watch the movie, but I like watching my wife Victoria when we watch those movies, okay? Because Victoria watches movies differently than anybody I've ever seen watch a movie in my life. Victoria gets so sucked into the movie. She's so focused on this thing. It's like she exits our world and enters the world of the movie, whatever it might be. She is so into it. And when I know that something is going to jump out of the screen, because you can anticipate it, I stop watching the movie and I start watching her, okay? And I watch her for a little while. And when that thing jumps out of the screen, she jumps in the air so high, it's unbelievable. Popcorn goes everywhere. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's, it's wonderful. And we all love movies like this, where there's a good plot twist, where something unexpected happens, where something sort of out of the norm takes place, and, and it's not what we were ready for. We love that. We love a good plot twist. That is, until the plot twist does not happen on the silver screen, but it happens in the reality of our own lives. And then suddenly we don't like plot twists as much, do we? We don't like it when we face a plot twist, twist in life, when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something happens that we were not expecting, right? All of a sudden, car breaks down, plot twist, right? No thank you. All of a sudden, relationship 
ends, plot twist. All of a sudden, uh, you lose your job, plot twist in life, and it's really difficult to deal with these things, and we find ourselves sort of jumping out of our proverbial seats, trying to hold everything together in our lives, wondering why we have to play, uh, why we have to face this difficulty and this plot twist, and it's not so entertaining, and it's not so fun, and no thanks. You can save the plot twist. I don't want to experience this in my real life. I would rather just be in control and know what is going to be happening. You know, we're all living out a story, aren't we? Every single person in this room right now, you have a story. And you know what your story is. And you're sitting around other stories as well. And every single person in this room has a story. And every single story in this room matters to God because every single person in this room matters to God. No matter what your story has looked like up until this point, you matter to God. And he loves you so much. We all have a story. And our lives all take on this narrative. But I wonder if you were to ask yourself today, if you were to get really honest with yourself today, what story is your life actually telling? Is your life telling a story of hopelessness and despair? Or maybe you're hearing your, your, your story is actually a story of God's saving power at work in your life. But I do know this, that whatever it is that you're going through, whatever story uh, your life has taken, whatever life looks like up until this point, I can tell you right now that your story is not finished yet. Your story is not over. There is more to be written in the story of your life. And so no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you've been through, no matter how many plot twists you've come up against in your life, no matter how many setbacks you face, no matter how many difficult situations you have faced or you're facing right now, I want you to know in this moment that you can flip the script on whatever has been and you can start living a comeback story, a story full of God's goodness at work in your life, a victory story, a redemption story, a story that shouts of the fact that when you couldn't do it on your own, God was able to do it through you. You can flip the script. And hey, if you're taking notes this evening, why don't you write down that as my title for this message? Flip the script. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, flip the script. Turn to your other neighbor, Tom, you can flip the script too. Just a moment ago, we read about a man named Saul. And Saul was persecuting Christians. He was a highly religious Jew. He was a Pharisee, and he would arrest Christians and persecute Christians all because they believed in and they proclaimed in the name of Jesus Christ. But Paul had this flip the script moment in his life, didn't he? And it changed him, and it changed the whole world forever. See, Paul, he planted churches, and he preached the word of God, and he wrote a, a, a large portion of the New Testament in our Bibles, and it, it would be hard to overstate the impact that Paul has had on this world. You know, even Slate Church, where we are today, we, we, we owe our heritage to the ministry of Paul and the movement of churches that he planted and helped establish in the first century. And ultimately, Paul had a revelation of Jesus, and it flipped the script in his life. We read it in Acts 9. It said, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. You know, if you want to flip the script in your life, 
This is really the first place to start. It's to get a revelation of who Jesus is. To encounter him on whatever road it is that you might be walking down in your life right now. Even if it's a road to a place that you know you should not be heading towards. You can, in the middle of that road, have a revelation and an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. And it can flip the script on the destination that your life is headed towards today. Come on. Get a revelation of who Jesus is, of what he's done for you, of how he has made a way for you. You can flip the script on death. You know, Jesus died so that you could have life and life eternal with him. You can have everlasting life. I mean, let that just sink in for a moment. Everlasting life. Now, I don't think that we pause and we consider this enough. We say it all the time in church, but... Just consider for a moment what that actually means and the implications of what that means for you. Everlasting life. You know, your physical body will die, but you won't die. You know, again, if you think about that, if you have made a decision to follow Jesus and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you will never die. You get to spend eternity with Jesus. And the fact that we will never die should not be cause for us to live recklessly today, but really it's uh, motivating to us to live with greater purpose today. See, when Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, it didn't cause him to hide away and do nothing in his life, as if to say, wow, thank goodness I encountered God. Now I get to just put my feet up and kick back and relax. I'm good. I know that I'm clear for eternity. No problem. All right, things are good in my life. But that's not what he did at all. No, it actually energized him. He became more passionate than ever before. But now instead of killing Christians, he was telling people about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and people were being saved. He flipped the script. I wonder, whose narrative are you living your life according to? Are you living your life according to the narrative of the world around you? Are you living your, your, your life according to the narrative of, of a world that is all too often filled with despair and a sensationalistic news cycle that just tries to drive clicks by publishing headlines that try and just uh, instill a level of fear in us? Or maybe you're living your life according to the script of a world that says you need to have a certain number of followers on social media in order to be impactful or influential or worthy of anything in your life. Or, or maybe you're living according to the script of a mistake that you have made or the script of heartbreak or the script of good intentions or the script of I guess I never will or the script of my upbringing was terrible or the script of I can't do what I want to do in life. I don't know, but these are all types of scripts that the world tries to hand to us on a daily basis. But we don't have to accept these scripts. We don't have to take them and start living our lives according to the script that the world tries to give to us. We don't have to live by this. Instead, we can live according to the script that God has for our lives. The plan and the purpose that he is giving to us. And really, if we want to live according to the script that God has for us, then we need to know what the script that he has for us is. And guess where that can be found? It can be found in the scriptures, okay? We can find his script in scripture. It's God's word. It's, uh, it's the best thing that we can base our lives upon and that we can live our lives uh, based upon God's unfailing and unchanging word. First Peter 1.25 says the word of the Lord endures forever. This is not a script that will expire. It's not a script that is here today but is gone tomorrow. But it is a script that is enduring, that is lasting, that you can build your life on now because it's not going anywhere next week. 
Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It is alive. His word is alive and active in our lives. It grows as we grow. It can speak to your situation, whatever it might look like, and it can cut to the heart of the matter. See, we need to pick up the script that God is handing to us, his plan for us, his will for our lives. And that is revealed to us as we engage with his word. As we engage with scripture, it teaches us who we really are. It teaches us what we were created to do. And I hope that this can help you this evening. I hope this can encourage you. I hope it can inspire you. And I hope it can motivate you to flip the script in your own life and to start living your life with Jesus at the center. Because it's only in that place when you live according to God's script that you are going to change the world and bring glory to God's name. Not to make your name famous, to make his name famous. Because if you're just working to make your name famous, guess what? Your name is not going to last forever. It's a hard revelation to hear sometimes, but, you know, recently I was near a, a gravesite and there were some gravestones and even the names on the gravestones had been weathered and you couldn't even read the name anymore. And that's a tough realization to come to, but it's the reality of this world. But the name of Jesus is everlasting. It's unchanging and it's not going to go anywhere. And so when we build our lives and bring glory to his name, that glory is everlasting. So if you want to live a life according to God's script, there are a couple things that you need to do. The first is this. You need to flip the script on past versus future. Flip the script on past versus future. You know, the past is always trying to tell the future what to be. And our past tries to take its experience and tell the future where it's going. And listen, sometimes that's okay. This is where common sense is derived from, isn't it? It, it, it comes from that. Like that whole time you ate a, a whole, that, that time you ate a whole pizza at 11.30 p.m. and three o'clock in the morning, you had the worst heartburn of your entire life and you weren't able to sleep, right? Come on, it's not just me, is it? Come on, somebody say amen to that. And that's okay, right? Common sense, we learn from our past and, and it can apply to our future and that's fine, that's, that's one thing. But then there's being held captive by our past and that's not a good thing. See, perhaps you're being held captive by what you did or did not do in your past. Or maybe there's something that you did in your past that you regret and you carry that around with you day after day and your past is trying to tell your future that you aren't good enough to do anything spectacular, that you aren't worthy of Jesus' love, that perhaps you're not worthy of the love of anybody at all. And maybe your past is trying to tell your future that you can't, that you never will, that it's impossible. And listen, if that's you today, it's time to flip the script on your past. It's it's time to stop living according to the script that your past is trying to get you to live by and start living by the script that God has for your future. Come on, what does scripture say about your future? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. John 10.10 tells us that Jesus came that we may have life and life abundantly. God has great things in store for your future. And the sooner you flip the script on your past and start living according to God's script and God's will and his direction for your life, the sooner that you can step into all that it is, all the good, all the life and life abundant that God has for you in your future. God has great things. Consider Paul for a moment. We read about him earlier. Paul has this dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus and it totally changes his future. But if you consider his past, it's a wonder that God would even use Paul at all. Uh, Just two chapters before this in Acts 7, Paul, the artist formerly known as Saul, okay, that's why he's sometimes called Saul. His name was changed to Paul. 
He was at the stoning of a man named Stephen, where religious leaders threw stones at this man until he died because he was declaring that Jesus is Lord. And Saul didn't do anything to stop it at all. More than that, Saul was destroying the early Christian church. Remember, Christianity was in its infancy. It was called the way at this time. It was fragile, and Saul did not want to see it thrive at all. Acts 8.3 says Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This guy had a past. If you were to look at anyone and think, uh, that's going to be the person that Jesus is going to use to preach his gospel and, and reach people and plant churches and, and write letters and all of these things. Surely it wouldn't be Paul. Uh, but look at, all the, uh, look at all these things. It would seem like his past would count him out, but it does not do that. In fact, after his encounter with Jesus, his script flipped. And even then, other Christians were still wary of going near Paul. They, they didn't fully trust him yet. They didn't believe that this guy who was so brutal and so difficult and so terrible could possibly now be preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. They did not understand it at that time. See, he had a past that said one thing, but God had given him a future that said another thing. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and you've got a reputation. Maybe you've got a past that's trying to hold you back. It's time to flip the script. And God can still use you. And he wants to use you. Don't allow your past to speak louder about your future than God's word speaks about your future. Flip the script on whatever has been or has not been. And give your future to God. And he can use you in powerful ways. But of course, some of us aren't held back by a negative past. Some of us are held back by great things in our past. And that's the trap of nostalgia. I can fall into this trap all the time. Just ask my wife. There's many times I'll sit daydreaming, looking at the window, uh, playing my 1990s playlist, okay? Just dreaming about what was. And uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC over the speakers. But even though the past can be a nice place to visit, it's a terrible place to live. The bitter wife lamenting the fact that her husband is not the boyfriend she once dated. The father desperate to relive his failed athletic career through his son. Uh, the, the, the person dreading their job and wishing that their time at university was still on hand. The family that was united for a time. Nostalgia is a trap that is so easy for all of us to fall into. But we can't let what was seal our joy for what can be. You know, I, had, I heard a pastor say once that when we kneel before the past, our present becomes a curse. But the present is not meant to be a curse. The present is a gift from God. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7.10, says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. When we live our lives wishing for the good old days and times gone by, it dishonors God. See, faith in God does not dwell on this question of where the good days have gone. And we are often unsatisfied with the obvious answer to this question, which is that God in his perfect will saw it best to perhaps allow new hardships in our lives to grow us and form us into who he needs us to be. But when we refuse to recognize God's sovereignty in this and wish for what was, it refuses to bless his name and praise him for what he is currently teaching us and what he is currently using us to do. It tries to call God to the witness stand and interrogates his goodness in the present as if we are the judge and the jury. 
Instead, we need to recognize that the best days are still ahead, that the best is yet to come. It's more than just a cute phrase. It's more than just a cliche or a saying, but it is truth. It's taken straight from the script that God gives to us in Scripture and that we can apply to our lives and build our lives on. The best is yet to come. Come on, yes, we can allow the past to remind us of God's faithfulness in our lives time and time again. Surely we should do that. But we can't let it remind us of those things for nostalgia's sake. But we can let it remind us of those things for the fact that it allows our past to speak of God's goodness into our future. Where it says, I know God brought me through back then. I believe he can bring me through whatever is ahead in my life. You know, if anyone... Uh, could have let their past dictate their future. It was my wife Victoria's uh, grandfather on her mother's side. You know, he's an amazing man. He really is an incredible man of God. He has a, a, a absolutely astounding faith. It's incredible to see. But he was born out of the result of a one-night stand. And he grew up in foster care, and he bounced around from home to home, and uh, he worked on Small farms in Sweden as a young boy would milk cows very early in the morning. And eventually when he was 13 years old, he was given 75 cents and a a pat on the head and said, okay, you're on your own now. Good luck. Go make a life for yourself. So he didn't know what to do and he just started walking and he was walking and walking and walked for kilometers and kilometers, tens of kilometers, just trying to figure something out. And he walked uh, to the southern part of Sweden to a city called Karlskrona. But just before he had arrived in that city, in the middle of the woods there, as he was walking to this destination, he had an encounter with God and he gave his life to Jesus in the middle of the woods, in the middle of Sweden, the middle of this place. He gave his life to Jesus and he knew that there was a future for him that was greater than his past. He knew that there were greater things and he worked hard and he grew older and he became a sailor from this uh, harbor town, Karlskrona, where he lived. And on one of the voyages of his ship, the crew landed and they were welcomed by Queen Elizabeth. Here was this young orphan boy shaking the hand now of a queen. And, and after he was done with that, he started a successful business and he purposefully employed people who were down and out in life and he gave them a job and he gave them a second chance. In many of these cases, really becoming family and a father figure for these people. And his legacy lives on. All these years later, he he looks around at his family and he says, could you even believe that all this could come from somebody like me? He started out with nothing. He had every right to be mad at his parents, to be bitter at life, to be bitter at God. But he flipped the switch on an encounter with God on the road to Karlskrona in the southern part of Sweden. And he knew at that point that God had a plan and God had a purpose for his future that was greater than the script that life had given to him on the day of his birth that said he would live life just being an orphan, having no parents that cared about him or loved him. Good luck trying to have a family yourself. No way. Flip, he flipped the script on what that was and built an incredible life and legacy that is lasting to this day. He's not a victim, but he is a victor in his life. He flipped the script on his past. It influenced his future. Praise God for that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for his example that I can look to in my life. It's an incredible, incredible thing. All right, point number two. Second thing we need to do, we need to flip the script on in our lives in order to live according to the script that God has for us is we need to flip the script on belief versus trust. Sometimes when it comes to our lives, 
We think that believing in God is good enough, but we don't actually trust him. But I would argue that if we don't actually trust God, then perhaps we never actually believed in who he was in the first place. And if this is the case, then perhaps our belief is more lip service and heartfelt conviction. You know, there's a great example, a story I recently heard uh, by a pastor that I look up to. It reminded me of this story. I've heard it before. You might have as well. I told this story. In the mid-19th century, there was a famous tightrope walker named Charles Blondin. And Blondin's greatest fame came on September 14, 1860, when he became the first person to cross a tightrope, stretch 11,000 feet across Niagara Falls, just in our own backyard, people. It's pretty cool. Stretch it from one end to the other, and he was going to cross over on this tightrope. And people gathered around on the Canadian side and on the American side, and huge crowds gathered, and they just had to see what he was doing. And he got up on the line, and he started walking back and forth uh, across this tightrope. And every time that he did this, he would do a new daring feat, which is pretty unbelievable. Once, he did it hopping in a potato sack, all right, which just absolutely blows my mind. Another time, he crossed on stilts, okay? Another time, on a bicycle. Once, blindfolded in the dark, he couldn't see. This is the one that absolutely blows my mind the most, okay? Once, he went across carrying a stove and cooked an omelet in the middle of the rope. (laughs) Entertainment in 1860 was a lot cooler than it is right now, okay? Before we figured out safety and all the rest of that garbage and stuff, all right? I don't know. This sounds pretty cool to me. One time, he, he went across. One of his props was a wheelbarrow. And he took it and he pushed the wheelbarrow all the way across the falls and got to the other side. And, and the crowd was going crazy for him. And he said, uh, he addressed the crowd. He said, okay, do you believe that I can make it back to the other side? Everybody went wild. Yeah, we believe it. You can do it. We know you can make it back to the other side. And then he said, all right, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Nobody put up their hand. See, they may have believed he would get to the other side, but they didn't trust that he could. It's a big difference between belief and trust. We need to flip the script on belief versus trust. You know, maybe you're here today and you've been believing in God for years and years and years, and that's amazing. But maybe today is the day where you can start to actually trust him in your life. Not just with parts of your life, not just with the convenient and the easy pieces of your life to put your trust into God's hands, but I mean with your entire life with every single bit of who you are. Will you trust God with that? Will you trust God with your future? Will you trust God with your family? Will you trust God with your job and your well-being? Will you trust God with all that that is? Will you put that into his hands? Will you actually trust him? And Here's how we trust in Jesus. We keep his commands. And Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And, and John echoes later in his letters, this is the love of God that we keep his commands. You know, at face value, these statements should probably make any one of us a little uncomfortable because we all know that the essence of love and trust cannot be boiled down to just actions or reduced to just a verb, right? Uh, That's why everybody here would laugh at the idea of a husband coming home with a beautiful bouquet of flowers and handing it to his wife on their anniversary and saying, here you go, honey, Uh, I am just fulfilling my marital obligation to you, okay? Like, that's not going to make any sense. That's just an act, but that act in itself does not equal love. It doesn't automatically equal trust. Of course, we know that love is not the action itself, but we also know that it is love that motivates the action in the first place. It is because I love my wife that I will buy her flowers on our anniversary, right? That's 
motivated by my love for her. And when we love God and when we trust God, it will be evident in us obeying his commands. And see, we don't obey his commands to try and obtain trust in him, but we obey his commands precisely because we do trust in him. And we trust that what he says will be beneficial to not only us, but to the world around us as well. We will trust in him. And it's evidenced by the consistent characteristic of the obedience of faith in our lives. We cannot love Christ without trusting him. And we cannot trust Christ without obeying him. So for some of us today, that might mean uh, getting off the sidelines and getting into the wheelbarrow that Jesus Christ is pushing in our lives. It might mean getting out of our comfort zones and actually trusting him. Maybe God is calling you to step out into something that he needs you to do, that he has gifted and graced you to do. And maybe you've been on the sideline in life saying, God, I believe in you. I think you're great. That's fine. But every time God calls you to step out of that comfort zone and get in the wheelbarrow, you've been saying, sorry, I just can't trust you with that. I don't know if I can trust you with my time. Perhaps this evening is the moment where you get off that sideline and you begin to trust God and get in his wheelbarrow, knowing that you are safer and better off in that place than you could ever be standing on the sidelines of this life. Be a participator in what God is doing here on earth. Go into all the world. Preach his name. Baptize people in his name. You know, I think it's sometimes that we find it hard to trust God because we would rather just trust in ourselves. And for some reason, we think that it's okay if we will just believe in God and trust in ourselves. Like, God, my belief can be in you, but my trust will be in me. Because I know what I'm about. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm bad at. I know what I want to do. I know what I don't want to do. So I'm just going to trust in myself, me, myself, and I. And God, you can go over there. I'll still believe in you, but I'm going to hold on to trust for myself. We can't do this. We've got to flip the script in this place when it comes to our trust in Jesus. And watch him use us in ways that we could have never imagined. That ways to change this world that we could have never anticipated. Totally unexpected ways through our willing to be used by God when we place our trust in him and we obey his commands. Number three, you still with me? Last point, we need to flip the script of us versus them. We need to flip the script of us versus them. So many people live with an us versus them paradigm in life, especially within the church. We can so quickly fall into this mindset of thinking there's us Christians, if that's maybe who you are in this room and you're a Christian and you believe in Jesus, you've accepted him to, into your life and he is your Lord and Savior and perhaps you have fallen into this paradigm of thinking there is us Christians, perfect people, wonderful people, nothing bad about us at all, nothing wrong and then there is them, right? The world, everybody else, sinners, okay? But we got to flip the script on an us versus them mentality we don't need to be people who are just puffed up with spiritual knowledge who try and live this way. But the truth is there actually is no us versus them. There's actually just us. It's just us. And salvation doesn't lead to arrogance. It actually leads to compassion. And that compassion should lead us to love others like never before. We need to start living lives that glorify Christ to the world around us. And we can start to do that by serving the world around us. You know, God calls us to serve people. You know, it's actually not in our power at all to save people. 
It's not. We don't have the ability or the power or the authority to save people. Only God has that. But what is in our authority? What is in our power to do? We're able to serve people. And as we serve people, we're able to show Christ's goodness to people. And that we can lead them closer to who he is. And he can save them from their sin and whatever it is they might be dealing with in their life. We can't save people, but we can serve people. And we need to serve people with humble hearts. Not hearts that think that we're good and others are bad. No, Jesus, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. We are all bad. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. But thank God for Jesus who came to take our sin and all the bad that is in our lives and he put it upon his shoulders and he died on the cross but he rose again to save us from our sin, to conquer death and to make a way for us. He took what was dead in us and he has made it alive full of eternal life. It's not us versus them. We're in this together. And yes, there are people who have not yet accepted Jesus into their lives. And yes, we do have a responsibility to take Jesus' good news, the gospel of Christ, out into all of this world and to preach his name and to show people the goodness of who God is. But we're not doing that thinking that we are some sort of uh, uh, like enlightened, uh, brilliant type of person and there's nothing bad in our lives and everybody that we're going to bring the word of God to is a terrible, horrible person. We need to turn the mirror on ourselves sometimes and realize that if it were not for Jesus and him at work in our lives, that that we are just as bad as anybody else. Flip the script on that kind of mentality. And as we do, when we recognize that we're in this together, when we recognize that we have a responsibility to love our neighbor and go out into all of this world and, and make the name of Jesus known and shine his light, we will begin to serve people like never before. We will put others before ourselves. We will care for people. We will really, truly love people, not on a superficial level where we claim to love people only for the social benefits that it brings to ourselves or our self-image or what we can post on our Instagram about how caring and loving we are to other people, but I'm talking about about the humble humility kind of love that nobody sees that happens behind a closed door that you get no glory for in this world, but you know it's worth it because it's what God has called us to do. Come on, we gotta flip the script. If we really wanna love people, we gotta flip the script. And listen, if we love God most, then we will love others the best. We gotta love God the most. When we love God the most, it will flip the script in our lives and we will desire to love others and to serve others. You know, there's a reason why Jesus said the second greatest commandment is like the first. If we love God with all our heart, we will love our neighbors as ourselves. It functions like trust and belief. When we love God, we cannot help but love others. When we love God, we cannot help but serve others in our city and the world around us. We must serve others, and our serving and loving can open the door for us to bring the gospel to the world that needs it so terribly and so badly. Romans 10, 14 to 15. Once again, Paul is writing. Same Paul whose script was flipped, and now here he is, years later, living with this purpose. And he writes in Romans 10, verse 14, 15. How, then, can they as people who don't know Jesus, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What a great line that is. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I wonder how beautiful are your feet today? (laughs) Maybe it's time for a bit of a spiritual pedicure when it comes to your feet in this place. Would you be a kind of the kind of person whose feet takes the good news of Jesus Christ into this world that so desperately needs it? Let us take his news to the world around us, a world that is in despair so often. Let us preach the gospel. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? We gotta go out and preach his name to this world. It's up to us. We must go, we must preach so that people can believe and call on the name of Jesus. Let's flip the script on what normal is in this life. Let's flip the script on what it means to love others. Imagine if all of us in this room here today left this place flipping the script on what it meant to love and serve those in our circle of influence in our lives. Imagine how that would change this world and this city and this region. Imagine how it could change even even just one life and I don't know about you but I think that even one life is worth it we got to flip the script let's serve people like never before I love that we have a city impact team here at Slate Church and their only desire the reason that it exists is to serve our city that's why it exists to love others and to serve others what an incredible ministry of our church but guess what it is not a separate ministry of our church it is the ministry of the capital C church to love others and serve others I love that we've got a university impact team that have been out this last week this first week of classes loving and caring and serving for university students in our city I don't know about you but I would say that with the 50,000 plus students we have right here in Waterloo we got a responsibility to love and to serve those who are in our city let's flip the script people think it's crazy people think it doesn't make sense guess what we're flipping the script Last year, St. Paddy's Day, we handed out uh, all kinds of timbits and water. And the, the news picked up that story, and it was great. You should have seen the comment section. I loved it because people couldn't understand what was going on. They said, why would they waste their money? Why would they serve these people? What's happening? Guess what? We're flipping the script on what our world and what society thinks is normal. And we're going to start doing and living according to a kingdom mindset that loves others and serves others in a way that people might just not be able to understand understand. Time to flip the script. You know, we're not a a church that exists to serve itself, but we exist to serve others. This past Friday night, Victoria and I, uh, we came across an incredible story of what it looks like to live a life where someone is flipping the script and a life that's full of joy, a life that is full of the love of Christ and is impacting the world around us. You know, this past Friday night, Victoria and I, we were out out on a date night, okay? And we went to a nice restaurant and at this restaurant, there's a young woman from our church who works at this restaurant. Her name is Lily Carlson. And uh, we saw Lily there. She came, she said hi to us. And uh, we, we said hello, it was fantastic. And a little bit later, uh, when we were done our meal, Lily came out. She brought us a free dessert, all right? This was awesome. She brought us a piece of cake. Praise God for that. It was amazing. And uh, we loved it. We were so thankful for her generosity in that moment. We really were. But then something totally different happened. And Lily's manager came over to our table. And he shook our hands. And he said, hey, my name is uh, Dan. And I just want you to know that the appetizers you ordered, those are on me tonight, okay? Because here's what I want you to know. So Lily told me that your pastor is at her church. And I want you to know that I, I've been in the service industry for a long time. And I have never met anybody like Lily. 
I have never met somebody who is just so full of life, who just shines this light, who is a breath of fresh air to me. I just wanted to say this guy, yeah, that's Jesus living inside her. You got to know. I have never met anybody who is as great as Lily. I am so thankful for Lily. I am so thankful for what she brings to this team. I am so thankful. And then he thanked us as a church saying, listen, if your church, I think it has something to do with why Lily is the way that she is. I think that there's a reason that she is like this. And I'm telling you right now, that is what it looks like to flip the script on what somebody would assume somebody should look like in their life. That's what it looks like to live a life that's overflowing with the love of Jesus, to live a life that is shining his light, that is preaching his name, that is serving others, that is making a difference in her space and in her sphere, that this guy could not point to any other reason for why Lily should be like this other than to say it must be Slate Church, that church that she goes to. I don't know what it is about people at Slate Church, but it seems like they live according to a different narrative in their life. It seems like plot twists come up in their life, but they're able to handle them with a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of no problem at all. What is it about people at Slate Church? Hey, it's about flipping the script. It's about flipping the script on what society would say would be normal. Living a life according to the script that God hands to us, according to scripture. I believe that as we do that, we will continue to see people asking that question, what's different about you? What is it about you? How, how come you're not living according to your past? How, 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 come, how, how come you're living in this way? That, that doesn't seem to make any sense to me at all. It doesn't work. Why, why do you care for people so much? Why do you love people so much? It's because we flipped the script. Don't accept the script that life is offering you. Accept the script that Jesus is offering you today. Come on, why don't we... Thank you for watching. And again, if you were impacted by this message, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email to slatechurch.com. If you'd like to learn more, fill out one of our online connect cards on our website. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. And remember, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.